Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Lucy Elvin. She has written for publications including the London Review of Books, Granta, and Noon. Her new novel, her first novel, is The Weak Spot, which is published by our friends at Soft Skull Press. Lucy, welcome to the program. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it is an honor to have you here. And I have a couple of questions for you, Lucy, before we dive into your novel, The Weak Spot. Uh, First, you are in London, is that correct? I am in London, yeah. It's uh, dark. It's been dark all day. (laughs) And it's very windy, um, quite bleak. Yeah, and what is the climate in London surrounding... um, COVID-19 currently as we sit here recording on January 20th. Mm, It's awful. It's, I think, the highest highest death toll recorded today. Um, Mm. Yeah, we're in lockdown. Um, It's, yeah, it's just overwhelming in many ways. Um, Nice to have some distractions from it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, same here. We're posting record numbers every day. And I always like mm-hmm. to ask when I'm speaking with an author in another country how things are there because um, you never know. Um, mm-hmm. My second question for you involves your press, Soft Skull Press. I really feel like this is one of the fastest up and coming small independent publishers at present. Can you tell me about Soft Skull Press and how you connected with them? Yeah, Um so I, I I found them because they they made an offer and I I didn't actually know them before but it turned out that my editor at Soft Skull, mm-hmm. um, Yuka Igarashi, is um, really someone who I had come into contact with um, several years before and um, she's she's incredible um, very just a brilliant reader the the best of readers Mm. and um i've started reading obviously the books that they publish i read um oval by alvia wilk and everything that i've seen come out of it's actually you know really kind of mind expanding and um so it's one of those things where you yeah it's very serendipitous i feel like it happens with writing that um you you kind of find people who um, or people find you and and by through that process you find something bigger that you weren't fully aware of sorry that's not particularly well phrased but it does feel very lucky yeah no it was perfectly phrased and yeah my wife Claire read Oval and loved it and I really feel like um, Soft Skull Press is just consistently putting out wonderful novels, including your novel, The Weak Spot. Uh, Let's now dive into that. On the back of the book, at least the advanced reading copy I have, there is a list of characters, a dozen characters to be exact. Uh, Would you, Lucy, say that this novel, The Weak Spot, is a character-driven novel? Do you know, I think it's definitely about dynamics between people um, and that was what I was thinking about a lot as I was writing, particularly between um, a person talking and a person listening. Mm. Um, as for characters, 
I, I'm, I'm very tempted to say that it's not character driven, but I was just looking at it again right now. And actually there are some really important um, drivers that come from characters. And I did think a lot about things like my narrators um, developing savior complex as the story goes on <laughs> and um, her boss, Mr. Malone's fear of death, although I, I never really kind of explicitly said that, but I feel like he's motivated very strongly by a fear of death. And so, yeah, I do think it is quite character driven, although it wasn't um, how I have been taught to write um, or I, I was, um, as, as you mentioned in the introduction, I've mainly written kind of short stories and um, mainly for Noon, which is edited by, by Diane Williams. And I never felt like um, there was too much pressure to focus on characters um, when I was writing for her, but it turns out that that's part of what I'm interested in. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lucy. And the book opens up upon a small town and it opens with a river. Every time I open a book that opens with a river, I think of Finnegan's Wake or Deliverance or Sutri or something like that. Um, mm. Can you introduce our listeners, Lucy, to this town that we open the pages of this novel upon? Yes. Um, it's, a, it's a small town in a very rural part of the world. It's actually, um, I, I don't say this in the book, but it's very heavily based on um, a region in France that my mom, my mum's family is from. And um, I, in fact, use a lot of folklore and myth from that part of the world because um, it, it just has this particular atmosphere and mood for me, which... I was very interested in going into when I was writing the book. I was thinking a lot about family and um, and that's a place that really represents family for me. So it's, a, it's very hot in the summer and in the myths from that area, it's the year is described as having three months of hell and nine months of winter. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's very extreme weather. Um, and it's 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 beautiful, um, but yeah, like very wild. And in literature, it's where people run away to, um, like criminals on the run will go hide out there, or someone who, um, who who's had some sort of disgrace <laughs> will hide out there. Um, so it, yeah, it, it's got this sort of intimidating quality, and also this kind of safeness which I find very interesting it's both at once and it's a place where you know like actually nature has been allowed to kind of continue in, in, a, in a way that it hasn't in other parts of the country so there are still wild boars and um wolves and stuff so it, it, it's both um it's safe if you're if you're a dangerous person <laughs> or a dangerous creature yeah, and is uh, the real town that it is based on also the same way? I'm reminded, I used to 
for a year of my life, I lived um, in Phoenix, Arizona, and there was this town close by called Jerome that was very similar. It had developed a reputation for uh, being a place where like kind of derelicts and ex-convicts flocked to. And now it's this weird tourist town where like 300 people live, including the uh, Maynard James Keenan, the singer of the band Tool. And he kind of has like, um, you know, um, fingers and everything in the town. But is it the same way in the real town in France that it was based on? Do you know, I don't really, I don't really know if it's actually like that or if it's, um, if it's just the reputation, if it's just kind of a myth that's been built up around it because no one really goes there because it's one of those lost places um, that's really underdeveloped. And in fact, it's, yeah, I, there are all these stories about it, but I think it's a lot of, a lot of talk. It's the, it's the kind of place where people talk a lot. Um so yeah, I'm not I'm not so sure. Right. Thank you so much, Lucy. Um, I want to talk to you about Mr. Malone. Mr. Malone is a pharmacist who we are introduced to in a very human uh, moment with a dog, but he soon becomes a larger than life presence. He exudes a sort of gravity that this whole town swirls around. Can you, Lucy, talk about Mr. Malone and what it is like both in your novel and maybe outside of your novel to have a small town with this sort of character that draws everyone else that lives in a city? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. I, I was very interested in his charisma and in the way in which by um, asking people about their lives um, as he does with his customers in, in the pharmacy and then then gets the narrator to do that for him, outsources that um, to her, he, he sort of creates this this power dynamic where he knows a lot about people and um, and they feel special as they tell him about themselves and um, and and actually very little is known about him and so he becomes kind of an object of speculation and fascination and and love and um, so I yeah I was I was really interested in in that um, way in which listening can actually be quite a powerful um thing to do and but only in the right hands um so when the narrator takes on that role I don't think that she necessarily becomes um more powerful I think that she sort of loses herself um she doesn't it takes it takes you know real world power to be to to be able to wield these tools um to your own advantage um so i i think that he is someone who in many ways i i identify with i admire even though he 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 can be quite um a sinister force because i do think that um he, he provides um something that the people in the town don't really have, which is um, a sense of their own importance and uh, a kind of um, a standard to which to hold themselves. And, and, um, and that, can be, that can be very useful, even if it's, it's a very hierarchical um, system. It, yeah, it's something I feel conflicted about at least. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lucy. And we will return to this line of questioning in just a moment. Listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Lucy Owen. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Lucy Elvin, author of The Weak Spot, which is published by our friends at Soft Skull Press. Lucy, returning to Mr. Malone, you mentioned this a little bit earlier before the break. He has this method as a pharmacist of drawing information out from the people in the town. He prefers for his employees to follow suit as our narrator and to learn to draw the souls of the townspeople out while they're in the pharmacy shopping for their prescriptions and other sundry uh, items. Do you think that the act of going to a pharmacy is one of such vulnerability that it draws this sort of blunt soul bearing honesty out of an individual? No, I don't. And I don't think that most pharmacies are like this, right? It's not a conventional story about a pharmacy or a pharmacist's life. In mm-hmm. fact, um, I I did do some research into into pharmacies when I had finished the book and was pleased and relieved that you know it wasn't I wasn't so off off base but I didn't do a lot of research before because it wasn't really what I was interested in I didn't want to write a realist novel about a pharmacy um, I I think that what sort of drew me to it was this idea of um, of being cured, of trying to save someone through words. Um, And I thought that a pharmacy in a rural part of the world is a place that people go to talk and um, certainly feel in this part of France that I I was talking about earlier, it's, um, I have lots of memories from childhood of it being really, really hot in the summer and going to the pharmacy and it suddenly being cool and air conditioned and feeling this great sense of relief and um, modernity in a, in, a, in a kind of landscape where everything was gossip and um, family history. And um, so it, it was a very different environment. And I liked that as well, the idea of a place that was like a stage set where you, you could go in and not really, not much was known about um, your life, but, you would say, you would tell people quite intimate details. And yeah, that, that sort of always stuck with me. Another thing actually that, that stuck with me for the setting of the pharmacy was um, I have a friend who, who moved to a remote island um, <laughs> kind of very surprisingly. And um, it was quite a small place. And she uh, told us that she that the pharmacist on the island had a huge amount of power 
because he just knew everyone's everyone's business and he and he used that in a very political way so I found that really fascinating the two parts of um, my memories from childhood and that anecdote sort of made the story happen absolutely very interesting thank you so much um there is a scene where our narrator, our female narrator, it is important to mention in order to frame this question, is yeah. interviewing for an apprenticeship at Mr. Malone's pharmacy. And Mr. Malone says that some people prefer to wait to have children before training. Um, mm. And he apologizes for presuming. Can you talk about this interaction and the implication that Mr. Malone is making? And is this something that women often have to deal with in a job interview type of situation. I, for example, have never had anyone ask me about my intentions regarding children during a job interview. Yeah, I, I think this is an early sign of Mr. Malone's um, disrespect for, for boundaries. Um, I, I actually had that very experience and that was one of the first scenes I wrote because I, I was thinking about training to become a psychoanalyst and I applied in a very mysterious um, sort of to a very mysterious um, institute um, here in London and uh, wrote in, you had to write a letter to apply and then they, they kind of summon you if you get through that phase. And it's all, it's all very unclear what you're meant to, what you're meant to do, how, how personal the interview is meant to be, whether it's professional, whether it's meant to be about <clears throat> your your life, and um, and I, I did have uh, an interviewer who uh, who asked me a lot of pretty I thought borderline questions, and that scene is is probably the only part of the novel that's um, quite close to <laughs> something that happened to me, um, and. Um, yeah, I, I found it, you know, very, very disturbing because I wasn't, I wasn't sure to what extent I was, I was wrong in that situation, to what extent he was overstepping the mark. And, uh, and then when I left the interview, I obviously, I didn't get, it was clear that I wasn't going to get the, 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 um, the training position. And um, I was feeling quite upset. And then this man, added me on Instagram. So I thought, okay, he doesn't really have a sense of what's appropriate here. Um, but it is interesting for me from the perspective of boundaries dissolving, which is something that happens to the narrator and she loses her sense of, of self. And I think that he employs Mr. Malone, her boss employs these tactics that are um, absolutely um, terrifying. I mean, small things, but he, he sits behind her so that she can't really um she can't really see him but she knows she's being watched um he, he analyzes her appearance yeah I, he he's he's a very overbearing presence um and yeah and that's familiar hmm. thank you so much lucy i appreciate that answer um there is a character in your novel, Elsa, who is having a conversation with our narrator and Mr. Malone about a garden. And I want to talk about a line in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And that line is, you have to tell people what you want in this life or they tell you. Can you talk about this thought both in the context of your novel and maybe outside of your novel too? Um, yeah, 
I I think uh, this is important in the novel because the narrator doesn't really know what she wants and Elsa's really articulating something that um, rings true um, and it's um, it's all part of, of this dynamic of having been told you know from throughout her life these these stories having these stories imposed on her by um, her uncle by people around her and being more interested really um, in other people's lives and in fantasizing about other people's lives and listening to other people's stories and dissociating from her own um, than in yeah than in her own experience in her own feelings in her own body so um, I think that yeah she she's she's profoundly disoriented and and that leads to her not really understanding the things that happen around her um and uh and i do i do think that she she goes some way to redressing that through the book but um i i kind of feel like desire is is like the key really sometimes like um to 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 reorienting your your life um or at least that's something that i was playing with in, in the book and um and I was thinking a lot about the, the chapters is kind of, there was a phrase that I, I heard a filmmaker use about her scenes. She, she described them as units of desire. And I thought that that was quite a nice way of thinking of chapters as well, that um, my chapters were kind of like short stories when they often is it, it, they're a story that someone has told my narrator or, or they, um, or that she has imagined about their lives, um, but it takes it takes a while for it to be really directed by her and by um, what she needs. Yeah, thank you so much, Lucy. And you just mentioned uh, the narrator's uncle. The narrator says of her family that they are compulsively helpful people, and in their acute helpfulness, they often sacrifice safety or comfort for the sense that they were giving or saying or showing resilience. Uh, can you tell our listeners more about the narrator's family, specifically her uncle? Mm -hmm. um, so her uncle is, is um, looms very large for her. And um, I, he's someone who is fascinated by the the geographical features of <laughs> the land in which she's living and the the kind of um the region where she is and he 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 always knows this he knows best he knows the stories um he knows the altitudes of the mountains he knows the age of the abbeys um and I think that he is really her link to her family who is um, remote from her. Like she, she's, we know that she, her mother was ill and then died and her uncle is her mother's brother. So um, in a way, I think that he, he is, he is this figure of um, fear and he's kind of like presented as a, a bit of a monster by the narrator. But I, I kind of feel like, there's a part of that which is that he is also 
he reminds her of someone that she's she's lost and that's very painful um I did wonder this sounds like a sort of um grandiose way to talk about your own writing but I did kind of wonder because the narrator is so detached from herself and her experience whether something more disturbing had happened between her and her uncle um and I didn't want to really resolve that because um it didn't seem like it was um it didn't seem right for me for some reason but I I, I kind of felt like he, he was he definitely imposed a lot of his stories and and that was in itself very um very damaging um yeah yeah absolutely thank you so much lucy and finally uh because of this moment in time when i am interviewing you again we are recording on january 20th uh 2021 and in america today uh, joe biden was just um installed into power as president mm. um there is a scene when Mr. Malone is about to break some unfortunate news to our narrator. And before he does, he asks, what is it you're interested in? You're not interested in politics. Mm. And the implication is that whatever she, our narrator, is interested in must be trivial since it is not politics. Mm. Um, part of my job, Lucy, is to monitor the social media accounts for a bookstore and to manage social media accounts for a book festival. And yeah. all anyone ever talks about on social media is politics, it seems. And my question, using this scene between Mr. Malone and our narrator as a jumping off point, is at what point of a person's life does politics become this all-consuming passion? And do you feel like the current political environment uh, here and there has always sort of been relatively the same as far as people's interest and participation or do you feel like social media has magnified these things that's such an interesting question um i really don't know it has taken an outsized role in all our lives hasn't it um i i do think that well, it's really hard for me to say because i've worked for a couple of um political publications recently so I do kind of have to keep an eye on it like you do um but um I do think more and more that um there's more that more things are political um maybe maybe there's a general cultural awareness that more things are political than um what we've narrowly defined as as politics um so that actually change doesn't happen necessarily um, because of, you know, the beliefs of one um, man often, um, or the, the convictions um, of, a, of a person who's in power, but it's forced. Um, and that, um, that movements, yeah, that political movements often come from people who, who are considered to be completely outside of politics and maybe not even people who would be targeted for you know by politicians in electoral campaigns like so yeah if you think of like the surprising political developments the last few years they've all come from places that would not have been described as political beforehand um so yeah i think that maybe we've become more aware of um how lots of things that we didn't consider political are um or have the potential to be yeah absolutely thank you so much lucy and thank you for writing this wonderful 
novel. Listeners, I have been speaking with Lucy Elvin, the author of The Weak Spot, which is published by our friends at Soft Skull Press. Lucy, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Once again, I would like to thank Lucy Elvin for joining me. Copies of The Weak Spot can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin.
Once again, I would like to thank Ryan Hughes for joining me. Copies of XX can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space, to get a free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.